afternoon to everyone. Um, thousands of children in South Africa are in danger of abuse and violence and exploitation at home, in school, and in our communities. And it begs the question, where are our children safe? And how can we protect them from harm? South Africa's constitution holds the human rights of all South Africans in the highest regard. And the Children's Act aims to protect our children. However, despite our advanced legal framework, our children are still not safe. The violence they suffer have long lasting consequences. The laws and policies on their own are not enough to keep them safe and therefore protecting them should be everyone's responsibility. That is why all South Africans should be aware of the problem. So let's look at, at these dangers and understand how they happen and what we can do to protect them, our children. We'll be looking at the legislation protecting children's rights, bullying, sexual assaults, child labor, child marriages, and the help that is available. George, can you start us off by telling us about the legislation in respect of children's rights? Thank you, Jenny. Yes, I think, um, as you said, it is quite a serious matter and something that we need to educate ourselves on as well, so that we know how to identify these dangers um, and how we can assist the children in, you know, in either protecting them from it and to prevent it from happening in the future. So the first piece of legislation, as you mentioned, Jedika, is the Constitution. And Section 28 of the Constitution is um, the human rights specifically focused on children um, in, in general. So when we look at Section 28, the, the one of the biggest um, protections under Section 28 is that everything that is done in South Africa with children, any matter that relates to children, must be decided and dealt with in terms of the best interest of their children. So it, it overpowers almost all the other rights of that. Everything that is done must be done in, in the best interest of the child. There's a lot of factors actually that you know indicates what should count as a best interest. But one of the best interests that you know the factors that can apply is and specifically um, important for this well is the need to protect a child from any form of abuse and maltreatment. So one of the factors that will be considered if there's whatever's happening to a child, if it's any risk of you know impacting the need of the for the child to be protected, um, it might not then be in the best interest of the child. Another right under Section 28 of the Constitution is that every child is entitled to family care, um, as well as basic nutrition, shelter, health care, and social services. So these are just some of the rights that's in, um, enshrined in the Bill of Rights for children. However, the Section 28 goes a little bit further and also highlights some protections um, applicable to children. So for example, the constitution says children must be protected from abuse and neglect, as well as exploitative labor, which um, fits in with child labor that we're going to discuss in a, at a later stage. So with the constitution in mind, there's also other pieces of legislation that has an impact on children and you know applies to children and how we can protect them. So the first piece of legislation is the Children's Act. And the Children's Act is quite a long piece of legislation and deals with a number of aspects around child, child, children. Almost all matters about children can be found in the Children's Act. It deals with, for example, parental rights and responsibilities, which include, you know, the parents' duties to maintain the child, 
to take care of the child, to have contact with the child and so on. It goes further dealing with social development of a child, um, the well-being of a child as well. So it's quite a big piece of legislation governing a lot of aspects around children. Another piece of legislation is the Child Justice Act. And the Child Justice Act is a piece of legislation giving the criminal procedures that must take place when a child is in the process of a criminal charge, for example. So it's different than adults and how adults will be treated in the criminal justice system. This piece of legislation deals specifically with children under the age of 18. Then we've got the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, which deals with um, the ages of when um, people are allowed to be employed, and that's where child labor comes in. We also have the Films and Publications Act, which prevents child pornography, for example, as well as Domestic Violence Act, which is um, more focused in a domestic relationship. So in a household, for example, violence between children and siblings, uh, children and parents, for example, and this will allow for children to get protection orders in order to be protected from the harm that they would suffer at home, in, for example, but we'll also address um, the Protection from Harassment Act in a little bit as well. With that in mind, I think one of the biggest um, dangers and vulnerable situations where children are, expo are exposed to will be bullying. And I'm going to ask Jellica to just um, take us through some of the aspects around bullying. Over to you, Jelly. Thanks, George. The time that our children spend in school is supposed to be an enjoyable experience. Um, enabling them with the skills that they require to become successful adults. Um, however, for some children, it becomes a traumatic experience. Some learners are harassed and bullied, making their lives miserable. And um, in severe cases, this actually leads to suicide. Bullying is a form of abuse and it can include physical attacks, purposeful alienation, spreading of rumors, verbal abuse, and various forms of emotional mistreatment. It also consists of um, cyberbullying. But what are some of the signs that a child is being bullied? Not all forms of bullying leaves physical marks and some children tend to feel shame or embarrassment and they may not report this to an adult, their teacher or their parents. However, some signs are low self-esteem, avoiding any social activities, self-isolation, and poor academic performance. So these are the things that we should look out for um, because as I said, children are normally scared or ashamed and they don't know actually what to do when they are being bullied. <clears throat> While we're on the topic of bullying, it's also important that we highlight at this point um, another vulnerable group of learners, and that's our LGBTQ learners. Um, they are especially vulnerable to bullying. Um, with South Africa having a history of discrimination against these group of, of learners, um, it's um, often teachers uh, lack skills to um, approach these situations where these uh, learners are are bullied and there are currently no programs in the curriculum to show or teach teachers in this regard how to handle these situations. Um, teachers themselves may also lack the knowledge and may also resort to some sort of uh, or form of, of, of bullying or name calling or singling out these learners. Um, <clears throat> And uh, despite our policies and guidelines and frameworks, these children unfortunately 
do still experience bullying. Um, but what, George, what can one do if they find out that their child is being bullied? As you mentioned, so it's one thing to be aware of the types of bullying, for example, but you don't always understand what you can do. So I think there's two aspects that we need to consider the case. One is to take action and to um, ensure that the necessary and proper procedures are followed so that the bully, for example, can um, be get the necessary consequences for his action, his or her, his or her actions. And um, the other aspect might be prevention. So when we look at the action to, you know, try and lead to the consequences that, you know, to deal with the bullying per se, then you will look at the reporting. So you can report, you must report the bullying to the school. This will be the school governing board as well as the principal. Um, children must also know that they can report the bullying to the teachers or to their parents or guardians as well. And then one aspect, and this is something that not everybody is always familiar with, is that certain acts of bullying might lead to a criminal aspect as well. So as you mentioned, bullying might be physical. So if it's punching or kicking or shoving, it's a physical element and that is a form of assault, which is a criminal offense. So you can also lay criminal charges against the bully um, at the police. So when we look at this reporting, you know, I have it them all side by side, but it's not an either or option in this instance as well. It's not like you have to either report it to the school or you can report it to the police. You can report it to both in, um, institutions um, because there's different procedures um, that must be followed as well. When we look at the prevention aspect, um, that's where you will apply for a protection order. And the protection order will basically mean that there's instances where the bully might not do something. For example, they say he might not, he or she might not come near um, the child or you know speak to the child, for example. So that prevents the bullying from happening in the future. So with that being said, and I'm quickly going to touch back on the reporting aspects and when you report to the school. So schools are governed um, by the South African Schools Act. And the South African Schools Act specifically says that school governing bodies must compile a code of conduct and there must be a set of basic rules governing the behavior of learners. And this might include specific procedures to deal with cases of bullying and appropriate punishments, for example, expulsions. So when you report it to the school, that's the procedures that will be followed is that, you know, the bully will be um, called in. There will be an investigation to look at the, the instance that happened, you know, the bullying that happened. And then it might lead to either suspension of the bully or expulsion of the bully. So that's dealing with the relationship between the school and the child. When we look at reporting it to the police, that's where the Child Justice Act comes in. And the Child Justice Act calls for restorative justice. However, the law acknowledges that bullying cases can contain a criminal element, as I said, for example, assault. And then the, the child, as I mentioned earlier, earlier on as well, the Child Justice Act has a separate criminal justice system for, for children. And, that means basically that, as I said, it's restorative. So where we look at adults, for example, where it's more in the line of a punishment, um, you will necessarily, you know, you will get a fine or an imprisonment. With children, it's more rehabilitative. So instead of going to prison or get a fine to be paid, the Child Justice Act basically says that children must be subject, if they are found guilty of an offense, be subject to, for example, counseling sessions or therapy or community service. So it's more rehabilitative than punishment per se. So when we also look at the criminal element, the Child Justice 
act divides persons, um, divides the persons into three categories, which is linked to their criminal capacity. So with that, what I mean with that is that criminal capacity is the function of being of sound mind. You <coughs> can a child recognize what's wrong and right and act accordingly. If they know that something is right, they will not do it. So that's where criminal capacity comes in as well. And when we look at the three different categories that I mentioned, they, they're divided into between the ages. So a child younger than 10 years, according to uh, the Child Justice Act, does not have criminal capacity. So according to law, a child under the age of 18 does not understand the difference necessarily between right and wrong and how to act on that. This does not mean that if, for example, a seven-year-old stabs another seven-year-old at school with a knife, that there will be no consequences. They will still go through the procedures as set out in the Child Justice Act. It's just that the consequences there will be a little bit um, you know, less. So again, more focused on maybe counseling or rehabilitation as well. Um, then we look at the second category, which is ages between 10 and 14 years. And between those ages, it's, uh, children are assumed to not have criminal capacity unless the state can prove otherwise. And then when we look at children older than 14 years, they do have criminal capacity. So with that being said, you might sit, have a question in your mind now as to can children be arrested? It might be that your child is, for example, the bully in this instance, and somebody wants to lay criminal charges against your child, can your child then be arrested? And the general rule is that a child under the age of 10 years may not be arrested. However, a child over the age of 10 years may be arrested, but only as a last resort. So it's possible, it's just as a general rule, they will try and avoid arresting the child. Um, again, looking at the best interest of the child aspect as well. So when a child is arrested, the police officer must inform the child of the allegations that is made against the child the child's rights and the procedures that will be followed. So, and in addition to that, the police officer must contact the child's parents or caregiver to inform them of the arrest. It will also, um, it's also important to know that a child will also be detained as a last resort. So what usually happens is that as soon as a child is arrested, they will be detained uh, um, separate from everybody else until the parents arrive and then they will be released into the parents' custody. And then it's the parents' responsibility to make sure that the children are appearing at court as necessary. So these are just some of the criminal elements um, that we can touch on with bullying. And one of the ways that you can protect children in that instance is to, as I said, you know, report it to the police as well, lay criminal charges where it's possible. Then when we look at the preventative matter, um, that's where the Protection from Harassment Act comes in, and that's where you can apply for a protection order. And something important um, that we need to take note of is that although adults can help children and children are usually supposed to be supported by adults in court matters as well, Section 2.4 of the Protection from Harassment Act specifically states that the child may apply for the protection order without the assistance of his or her parents. So this is something that's quite important for children to know as well, that they can go to the magistrate's court without any assistance and apply for a protection order. And this is the same um, as well in respect of the Domestic Violence um, Act as well. Children can go and apply for protection orders on their own. So this is just the bullying in a nutshell, basically, and addressing some of the aspects. And I think we will go into the new um, topic as well, that's sexual assault. Angelica will take us um, further with that one.
Thanks, George. Did you know that one in every three South African children are sexually abused before the age of 16? And the rate of sexual abuse exceeds that of, uh, of uh, sexual abuse of boys exceeds that of girls. This uh, shocking statistic highlights how big of a problem uh, sexual assault of children really is. Sexual assault of children is any sexual acts or attempts to commit sexual acts with a child, with or without the child's consent. The statutory definition of rape um, in the Sexual Offenses Act includes all forms of sexual penetration and is gender neutral. This means that any person can commit um, a rape or be raped. Children under the age of 12 cannot consent to sex because they do not have the majority to understand the consequence of their decision. However, adults are not the only people that sexually abuse children. So for example, if a 16-year-old has sex with a six-year-old, this is still sexual abuse. So this would be an instance where a child is sexually abusing another child. It is also important to remember that there are different types of sexual abuse. So some sexual abuse may contain a physical element, and this can take the form of sexual touching of any part of a child's body, whether they're clothed or not, using a body part to an object to rape or penetrate a child, forcing a child to take part in sexual activities, making a child undress or touch someone. Contact abuse usually includes touching and kissing and oral sex, but it's important to remember that sexual abuse doesn't always um, have the, the element of penetrative sexual, sexual acts. Then there's also non-contact abuse, where the child is abused without actually being touched by the abuser. And this can be in person or it can actually be online. Um, this will include exposing or flashing, showing child um, the child pornography, making the child masturbate, forcing a child to view or share sexual abusive images or videos, making or distributing images of the child, forcing a child to take part in sexual activities or conversations online. Most children are sexually abused by someone they know. So it's most commonly a family member, a friend, or a teacher. They could also be abused by someone they met online um, or personally. It may even be that they are abused by someone who commits a once-off sexual abusive act. While all children remain vulnerable, um, it's also important to note that children with disabilities also are somewhat more vulnerable perhaps because they don't understand the acts that's been committed against them or they're not able to explain or voice um, exactly what's been happening to them. It's very important to actually handle the situation with sensitivity when a child actually does reveal to you where, that they have been sexually assaulted. So it's important that you listen carefully to exactly what the child is saying. We need to let them know that they've done the right thing by telling you um, exactly what's being done to them. You need to make it clear to them that whatever happened to them is not their fault. And you really need to take them seriously. So you need to believe what they're actually telling you. You need to not confront the alleged abuser. 
and you um, need to explain to the child what you're going to do next and you need to report what the child has told you as soon as possible. Um, so just to highlight the most important elements there, you need to believe the child and not brush it off. So a child may come to you, it may be about a family member, an uncle, a, a cousin, someone close by that you never suspect of actually committing such acts, but you really, really do need to believe the child and then investigate the matter, obviously. Um, but then once you do find out, you need to report the matter. Here, George will, will walk us through that process. Thanks, Jenica. Um, before I continue, I just want to add on what you said. So it is something that we need to take seriously. And unfortunately, there are instances where if somebody, if a child reports sexual abuse to an adult, where they would also, you know, have that idea of who will believe this child? You know, there's that, oh, it's just this one person's, um, it's just this child's evidence in court. Nobody's going to believe the child. And I just want to add something there. And in the sense that when we deal with sexual um, assault matters in court as well, that that's where courts will rely a bit stricter on single witnesses um, due to the circumstances as well. You know, it's never going to be, have an audience, there's never going to be witnesses to these sexual acts in general. So it will most probably always be a single witness. And the law specifically allows for that instance to say that in these circumstances, single witnesses will be allowed and the courts will take a bit, will be a bit more strict with single witnesses in that instance. So don't always go on the idea of, you know, it's only one person's evidence, nobody's going to leave, believe us. You still need to report it. And that brings me to the next topic. And this is um, our duty to report it. And Section 54 of the Criminal Law, Sexual Offences and Related Matters Amendment Act, specifically provides that everyone has a duty to report any sexual assault or reasonable suspicion of sexual assault or abuse against the child. So this is specifically in the Act, and it goes further to say that if you fail to report um, an incident like this, it will lead to a criminal offence and a criminal charge being um, laid against you for failure to report this and you can end up with five years imprisonment and or the fine so this is something important to take note of and you know i've heard about matters in the past as well where the children it, it's it's quite a complicated matter and you know it, it's difficult to establish always what to do and how to act in these circumstances in one scenario what that we that i know about is the children went to the mother and explained they were already above 13 if i'm not mistaken they, they explained to the mother what happened and the mother wanted to report it to the police but the children asked them not to be out of fear as to what will happen um you know with their father for example how will he react in that instance with being reported so the mother kept quiet according to the children's wishes so when the children eventually came at an age where they said okay we, we want to report this now the, just to also mention that the mother took actions they moved out of the house um, so she tried, she protected the children from the sexual abuse happening further as well, just not reporting it. But when they reported it, the, she was also charged, the mother was charged under Section 54, basically, to say that she is guilty of a criminal offence because she did not um, report it when, when she was informed of it. So it is quite serious. Um, at the end of the day, she did um, turn state witness and they withdrew the um, charges against her. But it's something to take note of. And you know, you have to report this. You can report it anonymously as well if you want, um, but you have to act and there are consequences if you do not report it um, 
appropriately. So that brings us to the end of sexual assault matters. Um, we're quickly going to look at child labor um, because this is also something that I feel happens quite a lot and not everybody always understands what the law says about child labor. Are there certain ages, age limitations, work, working hour limitations and where to report um, instances of child labor. So if you look at the first question here, are children allowed to work? Um, the law is clear in that instance to say that anyone under the age of 15 years is not allowed to be employed. So above 15 years old, they are allowed to be employed, but not younger than 15 years. So when we look at younger than 15, this 15 years, this does not include menial tasks around the house, like your chores. Um, so don't let your children come and tell you, um, you know, it's child labor, I'm not allowed to clean my room. Um, it's, it must also still be, as long as the chores are still age appropriate, um, it should be fine. Um, so this would include like washing the dishes, cleaning the rooms and so on for an allowance. Um, the next question we can look at is if there are any restrictions in child in, in respect of child labor if the child is older than 15 years so this is where um, the law will say for example that a child must not be the the, the employment of the child of over the age of 15 years must not be exploitative hazardous or inappropriate for the child's age it must also not have a negative impact on the child's social physical mental spiritual or moral development so it must still be age appropriate and not leading to any harm for example if a child will have to um, you know manage heavy machinery for example a 16 year old will have to manage heavy machinery there are certain rules in that respect as well to help and, and train and monitor the children but that is something that might be considered as hazardous or inappropriate for the child's age there's also certain limitations on working hours for example, a child is not more allowed to work more than two hours per day if the child is still in school. So this will be, for example, if you're looking at, um, you know, babysitting. If in, if a child is babysitting as a part-time child or just trying to get some extra money, um, they're not allowed to work more than two hours if they're still in school. And the law also says in that case that in general, a child is not allowed to work after 6 p.m. in the evenings but in instances where, for example, babysitting, not later than 11 a.m. So the law does have some of these um, measures in place to regulate child labor when it is indeed allowed. And then another question is, where do we report um, child labor or can we report child labor? So if you are aware of child labor occurring and you feel that it's illegally done, it's not, you know, correctly done, it's hazardous to a child, it's detrimental to a child's social well-being, for example, you can report um, that to the Department of Employment and Labour and they will conduct inspections of the work sites and then ensure that the necessary consequences to the employers um, will be completed. So another thing as well, it is for an employer, it is a criminal offence to employ a child under the age of 15. So that's also just something to take note of. It is something, you know, children um, between the ages of 15 and 18 um, usually want to get a holiday job or want to get that ex extra income. And this is something that um, everybody can just take note of. If you're a parent, take note of the fact that, okay, it mustn't, the law specifically says it can't be hazardous to my child. It must still, it can't be detrimental to my child's um, moral well-being, for example. So keep those things in mind when you are faced with one of these um, circumstances. Um, Jenica, another aspect that we can briefly touch on as well is child marriages. Um, maybe you can explain a little bit in that regard for us. Thanks, George. 
Okay, start off with um, just the Children's Act prohibits the arrangement of, of marriages or engagements for children below the minimum age. And the act requires the child's consent um, to the arrangement of the marriage. However, because of tradition, religion and poverty, this, this practice is, is continued. Um, there are various types of child marriages. Um, the first one is where both spouses are under the age of 18 years. Um, a second type could be where only one spouse is over the age of 18 and the other one is under the age of 18. Um, if spouses are minors, their parents or legal guardians will have to consent. And if a boy is under 18 years and a girl is under 15, they also need the written consent of the Minister of Home Affairs. Um, I think the problem with, with child marriages, it's, it's because of culture and, and child marriages is mainly primarily to build or strengthen alliances between families. Um, this process begins probably with promises of marriage from a young age or from when they, the children are actually just, just born. Um, and both boys and girls are subjected to child marriages. Child marriage is um, a direct form of discrimination, especially um, against the girl child, because once she is married, she's actually denied the opportunity to study further. Um, her health is actually also com compromised because of marrying so young, she's forced to actually birth children at an earlier age. So she's at a major disadvantage for how her, her life plan will actually turn out. She cannot study further, she cannot start a career. So child marriage is actually a form of discrimination against the girl child in particular because of her violation of her basic rights to health, education, development and equality. Um, protection against forced marriages. Okay, the marriage may take place under religious or customary law. Section 12 of the Children Act states that no one below the minimum age can um, be given out in marriage or engagement. And this is also a criminal offense. There have been cases where adults have been prosecuted in relation to child marriages. However, because as I mentioned, tradition and culture, this practice continues. Um, even if it's on a small, a small scale. Um, so people need to be educated about the disadvantages of it to curb this practice or in the hopes of eliminating it um, completely. Thanks, Jenica. And I also just want to add there that under customary law, there's also um, under customary um, traditions as well. There's also this tradition known as Ukutwala, where, um, you know, the husband will go and kidnap uh, his wife, for example, and, and get her to marry her. So just for interest's sake, that whole um, custom has been declared unconstitutional and it is now a criminal offence to continue with that. Um, the Constitutional Court did say that in, in, due to the um, traditions around, behind it and the customs behind it, the only time when it will be allowed, if it's faked, for example, you know, it's, it's just a formality. So the future wife did consent to the marriage. Everything has been done properly. It's merely just ticking a box now and to say that this is what we have to do in, in accordance with our custom. So what happens, um, I've, I've read a few articles as well, that what happens now is that this custom of Ukutwala, this kidnapping will be faked. Um, so if it's not 
Um, if it's done against the, the, the prospective wife's wishes as well, it is illegal, the marriage will be illegal and the husband can be charged criminally as well. So that's just something interesting that we can um, mention here. So I think one of the, um, this, the two um, main um, organizations that we're highlighting here is the TS Foundation. Um, they will assist um, with assisting and advising on how you can um, deal with um, child abuse, for example, or any other aspect uh, dealing with children. Um, we've got their helpline and their landline there available if you want to write it down. Um, and then South, the South African Police Service, um, we also have their emergency number and the landline number we have there is the landline number specifically for the Family Violence, Child Protection and Sexual Offences Unit. Um, so these are the ones. So the police as well, not only can they assist with the criminal aspects, they can also advise as to where to report matters um, if you're not 100% sure. Then other institutions that you can look at is um, the Save the Children Institution, the Teddy Bear Foundation, or also known as the Teddy Bear Clinic, and Childline, which their number is conveniently on their logo as well, um, 116. Um, and then that's where you can contact. So these are just a few. There's a lot of institutions that um, will help out. Okay, so these are just a few. So I think, Jenny, this brings us to the end. Um, maybe you can take us to the last slide and um, Lubo can lead us into some questions if there are or we can just have some general discussions if there's no questions. Um, this quote is quite significant to what we were actually trying to highlight. Um, children are the soul of our society. If we fail them, then we have failed as a society. As I mentioned, children are the most vulnerable members of our society. They are in need of protection generally. They look for protection from adults, from their parents, from their teachers. Um, so, you know, we all need to work as a community to look after these children, not just our children, but everyone's children. If you know of someone's child that is being in danger, then, then try and help them out, assist them. As we mentioned, there are organizations that are willing to help. So report the matter, even if you can't or you're unable to do anything by yourself. We all really need to work together to keep our children safe. Um, they are the future, so we need to help them become, you know, successful adults um, for the future. Okay, so see if we have any questions, um, Lupo. Okay, thank you, George and Jellica, for the presentation. The issues that children face are quite alarming. However, it is quite important that we, as both parents and adults in general, understand their rights and know what to do when their rights have been violated. So thanks again for the presentation. We look at, if we look at some of the questions, I think we have only one, which is, which I think Helen has responded to. Okay, there's a new one now. It says, hi guys, um, what signs should I, should I maybe look out for if a child is abused? maybe in school or any place, like sexually or emotionally, etc. Thanks for the question. Um, Jelica, will you take this one? Yeah, as we mentioned, I think it's very similar to bullying. Like, if it's your child, you'll know how your child generally behaves. But sudden changes in their behavior where they become withdrawn and scared almost, um, like 
you know, like as if they did something wrong. So I think maybe just drastic changes in their behavior where they become very quiet or withdrawn. Maybe some children act in the opposite way where they become angry and they may re retaliate or have temper tantrums. I think it's important to notice um, their behavior um, and, and, you know, changes in it. Also their academic performance. So maybe the abuse is happening at school um, and it, it affects their academic performance. But it's also important to sit down and have these conversations with your child, um, you know, so they are aware that what is being done is wrong. They can speak up about it. Not sure if you want to add anything, George. No, I'm just seeing that um, Yolanda also mentioned the behavioral changes in the comments. Um, and Charlene also mentioned in the comments that, you know, if the child is using different non-age appropriate vocabulary, um, which also adds to, as you mentioned, you know, that drastic changes of the, um, um, what we, you know, the, the drastic changes that's applicable. So your child is completely different the next day. Um, Charlene is actually from the um, TS Foundation and um, she's dealing with these types of matters as well. Charlene, I don't know if you maybe um, want to join us and just maybe make, um, speak about something in general about these signs and uh, from your opinion what they can do putting you kind of on the spot here now thank you so much um george yes it, it is quite difficult when it comes to children especially when it's little little ones um and the the, the quickest way that you can decipher if something is happening in the little ones um if they become scared all of a sudden, you know, of something that they've never been scared of, you know, being scared of the dark is normal, um, but all of a sudden becoming scared of heights or being scared of hugging someone, or if they hear that a, a certain person is coming to your house um, and all of a sudden they are withdrawn. I also think it's very important for parents to understand that do not force your children to kiss and hug uncles and aunties and cousins yes please don't because then you are not teaching them boundaries mm. you are teaching them it's okay if other people touch them um other other things that, that people don't normally um they, they say oh it's a teenage years is when they become secretive you know and all of a sudden they don't tell you all these things they become mm. scared you know even though they're not at that age yet um, there are so many different defining factors when it comes to child uh, 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 child abuse and most often in, it goes unnoticed because we just think oh maybe they're in a the mood or oh maybe it's just one of those days mm. and it's those days that you really have to ask them are you okay what's happening you can tell me even if the because a lot of times when 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 abuse happens it is if you tell your parents they're going to be angry with you yes exactly so, um and that's why i also mentioned is and why jelica also mentioned earlier on in this in this essence of you know you must take it seriously when you report it and you must ensure that you believe them you know let them know that you believe them and i don't doubt them um, because yeah. that's quite an important thing you don't want them not to report something because they are scared you're not going to believe them or um, they're scared you are going to retaliate as a parent for example um, so it's, it's quite thanks thanks so much for your valuable input um Charlene. um there's another thanks, question pleasure. and maybe you can hang around if you want um sure. and, you know from a practical point of view um, um Lubo, do you want i think natalie yeah. 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 
Um, so we have another question. Um, so there's a question in the opposite direction. What do you do if your child is the abuser of another child? If you know it is happening, can you go and open a case with your child as the perpetrator? So with that one, it, it, as I'm understanding correctly, then it would mean that um, your child will come forward and say, listen, I am, I was the abuser and I want to plead guilty on whatever I did. I take responsibility of my actions. Um, that is indeed possible, but it is also a contentious topic um, as well. And, you know, it depends. Different parents will have different opinions on that as well, but it is indeed possible. Um, Charlene, I saw you unmuted yourself. I don't know if you wanted to add something from your experience in that aspect. Um, so I, I think in, in my, my suggestion would be in a case like that is when you as a parent know that your child is the abuser, is to seek, seek help for that child, you know? Um, so we're not going to turn anyone away that, that comes to our doors and say, listen, I need help. Um, but again, that is specialized assistance that, that you would require for that child. And you need to understand if your child is a perpetrator at a very young age, um, the chances are that he was abused as well, or, or she. You know, so getting down to the bottom of that is really, really important. Yeah, it's interesting um, that you mentioned that as well, Shalin. Thanks so much. Um, you know, get to the bottom of it and, you know, discuss it with your child. Um, yeah. Are there any other questions, George, there's a comment. Maybe you would like to add something to it. It says, the community at large knows about children being abused and aware of it, but are not doing anything about it. For instance, think about what happened a week ago um, in Eastern Cape, East London. Yes, um, thanks Samuel for the comment. Um, and it's built on what Jelika said earlier on um, in the respect of we have to act. We as the as the as the society must act and, and you know ensure that we protect our children as well um, and not always keep quiet. It's it's a difficult balance as well because you do not want to take the law into your own hands um, because it can go both ways. So you know, I've, I've heard that parents would tell their children, for example, you know, if somebody hits you at school, um, oh, you know, just hit them back. But we must keep in, keep in mind that that retaliation, that hitting your bully back is another criminal offense, for example, of assault. That's also a form of of um, bullying. Um, I don't know if you want to add something, Jelica. No, no, nothing, George. Okay, thanks, Jelica. Um, there's another question um, says hi guys. If sorry, um, if parents argue in front of a child, screaming and shouting, is that a form of abuse? Um, I would say it is. It, it's although it's not screaming and shouting to the child, um, it is still exposing exposing that child to that emotions. It's the child is sitting there. The parents are arguing. The child does not know what they're arguing about. And some children usually takes it on and say, well. Are they maybe arguing about me? Um, you know, am I, you know, are they arguing? You know, you might be arguing about something else, you know, financial issues, and the child might be thinking that's because I cost them too much money. And that adds to the anxiety of a child. It adds to, um, you know, a child's possibly um, becoming depressed, for example. And, and that can be a form of abuse. It's a form of emotional abuse. Um, anything you want to add there, Jelica? No, just that it's obviously it, it will be very traumatizing for the child. Um, they they they're not sure how to feel about the whole situation. 
um, also these children where parents are, you know, fighting in front of them, they tend to feel neglected um, and then seek attention from other places or get involved into, you know, other sorts of, of trouble. So they're kind of neglected as well. It drives them or pushes them to other avenues um, because they're seeing what's happening at home. They need to escape or, or you know, so it, it can be traumatizing and damaging to a child. Thanks, Jelly. I also see here, um, Helen mentioned, made a comment here as well to say that bully needs as much support as the victim. Um, and that is also true, you know, in our legal system as well, it's both sides will be considered, both stories will be listened to. And again, it's it's not just a one-sided story, it, it really goes both sides and both the, the bully, for example, and, and the victim needs the same amount of support in these circumstances. So yeah, I think we're done. I think those are all the questions that we have. Um, lastly, we'd just like to thank everyone who joined us for today's